It's The Principle with Pastor Mac, where we learn the heart of God through the mind of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. I am your host, Pastor Mac. Join me as we dive into the passages of Scripture and find out how principles from God's Word give us the power to overcome the problems of life. Hello, everyone. So glad you joined me today. Um, I apologize for missing last week. We had a lot of things going on in the family and uh, was busy and just, uh, you know, how life happens. And so I just had to take a week off, Uh, but I'm back. And uh, for better or worse, uh, whether you like it or not, here I am. Uh, And so so I want to look at, I want to go back to, okay, so, all right. Let's, let's time for some confession here. Um, I love the book of Genesis, and we've started with Genesis, and I, I don't see any reason to believing it yet uh, because there's so much foundational truth here. Listen, folks, if we don't get Genesis right, you might as well hang up the rest of the Bible. So I'm just going to just lay it out there. If we don't get Genesis right, you might as well just hang everything else up. So everything about life, everything about the world, about the created order, everything we have, we know it, we can find the basis and the truth and the uh, functionality and all the logistics of it. We find the Genesis. Um, and so I want to go back and I want to look at um, I want to look at another passage uh, we have talked about. We've talked about the power of choice. We've talked about the power of words. We've talked about the fact that you can find in Genesis that God is for you. We find in Genesis the power of the spirit, all those things. And and and, and I don't know if you've kind of kept track of this. I keep going back to Genesis because it is the foundation. And, and this idea of it's the principle, right? Uh, I've shared this with you before that I'm a big principle guy. We, um, uh, the principle of, uh, the principles of life, excuse me, um, matter. And there are truths, there are truths that we ought to be able to stake our life on. And to me, that's a principle. There are certain principles uh, that that um, we ought to be able to count on, regardless of the situation that we're in, regardless of the circumstances that we're facing. And so, this is what I want to look at today. Again, another one. Um, I want to look at uh, the enemy within, and I'm going to take you to a passage of scripture. Again, we're going back to Genesis chapter three, and I want to look at. Uh, we're, we're going to look at the fall, but I want to bring out something maybe that that maybe you've never heard of. A look at a principle here. Um, so Genesis chapter three, uh, God has told Adam and Eve that they could have the whole garden, right? The whole garden of Eden. Uh, they can eat of any tree. They can go anywhere they want, do anything they want to do, except for eating from the one tree, right? We all know Adam ate the apple, although it wasn't an apple, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And uh, so I want to look at a passage, this passage, that introduces the idea that there are three spirits. There's the Spirit of God, there's the evil spirit, spirit of the world, spirit of Satan, whatever you want to call it. But there's a third spirit, and that's the spirit of man. And so before we get into this, let me let me give a definition, because I love to define. Um, when I say spirit, let, think of it better as motivation. Think of it better as a driving force within you. Let's think of it that way. Um, and, and I'll 
do some more defining on that as we go. But so with those thoughts in mind, right, the three spirits, the spirit of God, the spirit of the world or the spirit of Satan, whichever way you want to call it, I don't care. It's semantics to me. They're both the same. Um, But the spirit of man. So with those thoughts in mind, let's look at this and see if we can figure out some principles here about life. Uh, So um, the garden, we're at Genesis chapter 3, we're at verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The woman replies, uh, we may eat of the fruit of the tree, fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Satan says, you'll not die. Verse five, for God knows that in the day you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse 6, so when the woman saw the tree was good for food, pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Now, so let's talk about this idea of the spirit. Let's talk about this idea of the spirit being the motivation. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, And you see that God did all the creating, right? He created the world. He created the stars, the sun and the moon and all those kind of things that um, when he goes back, he creates man. And when he creates man, I'm sorry, I said Genesis chapter one, go to Genesis chapter two, verse seven. When he created man, it says that the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul or a living being. Um, So he was a being before. Now, don't I'm not trying to say that he was walking around soulless. I know that there are those individuals who believe in soulless people that were before the Genesis chapter one, and all that. I'm not. I'm not getting into all that. And if you want to ask me about that, you'll have to send me an email or call me or something. But, um, but he was a being. It was when the spirit of God was breathed into his nostrils, when God entered into his body, that he became not just a soul but a living soul. The idea that the spirit of God became this motivator, this life, this life force that then drove him to become who he was as a man. And uh, see, before that, he was just a body. He was just a shell. He had no life. He had no, he had no motivation. He had no, nothing to move him. Um, And I'll get into that a little bit here in just a few minutes, but there was nothing that drove him to move. He was just a lifeless body laying on the ground. But when God breathed into his nostrils, the breath of life, the spirit of God that entered into him, it entered into him, or he entered into him, excuse me, he became a living soul and he, it then motivated him. It moved him. It drove him to action. It drove him to get up. And, and what did the spirit of God drive him to do? This is where it gets interesting. When you look at Genesis chapter one, two, and three, you see two actions from man. Now, I know that tending the garden and naming the animals and all that kind of stuff, that's a subset of the two actions. The Spirit of God was a motivating force to do two things in Adam. 
One, obey. He said, he created him. He put him on the planet. The whole planet is yours. You can have what you want, eat what you want, everything, except for the one tree. And you just take it and have dominion and rule over it, but do it according to my rules. Everything is yours except for the one tree. And all Adam had to do was obey. So that is the first thing that the Spirit of God did. The second thing the Spirit of God did was drive Adam to relationship with the Lord. Now, I know that that may sound contradictory. Obedience and relationship. But let me give you principle here. When you're following the Lord, and it's the same as a child with a parent and, and, and uh, an employee with an employer, all those things. But when you're following the Lord... You can't have one without the other. Listen to me, child of God. Understand this principle. The Spirit of God is within us to drive us to obey the Lord and His Word and to have relationship with God the Father, the Lord, and His Word. You can't have one without the other. You can't have relationship without obedience. It doesn't work. In fact, the scripture Jesus said, those who know me and love me, those who love me, keep and obey my commandments. You cannot have relationship without obedience. It does not happen. And if you think, listen, listen, I know I sound old school. I know I sound like an old fogey. I don't care. This is the truth. I'm going to tell you the truth on this podcast always. I will always tell you the truth. I'll never, at least knowingly, lie to you anyway. How about that? So you cannot have relationship without obedience. It doesn't happen. So if you think that you can be a child of God and live contrary to the Word of God, or you think you can be a child of God and live contrary to what you know is the truth of God, then you are mistaken. You are wrong. Uh, you may be even delusional, to be honest with you, but it doesn't work. The flip side of that, true obedience is birthed out of relationship. I don't obey the Lord because it's what I'm supposed to do. I obey the Lord because it's what I want to do. Listen, I'm a I'm a husband, right? And 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 my wife and I just celebrated 29 years, 29 great years. And I love my wife. I dearly love my wife. And out of that relationship, that love I have for her, no, I, I'm not going to say obey. Uh, for those of you who think that might be kind of funny, no, it's the, the obey part. No, that okay. I'm not even going to go there. But out of that relationship, I do things that please my wife. Because of the relationship I have with her. I do things that honors my wife because of the relationship I have with her. And it's the same with the Lord. I obey and I do the things that please and honor him, not out of, of some kind of uh, uh, compulsory, something that I have to do. I do it because it's something I want to do because I have a relationship with him. I know he loves me and I love him. And so, uh, so the Spirit of God works within us to take those two, those two principles of obedience and relationship and, and in His beautiful way, in, through grace and through strength and through guidance and through His love, He gets them to work together. And, and 
it's kind of common sense, isn't it? That's why it's a principle. Don't we know this with children and parents? I mean, don't we know that? Your seven-year-old, um, if they don't obey, it, it hampers the relationship. And if the seven-year-old, the 15-year-old has a proper relationship with their parents, doesn't it? Doesn't it lead to better obedience? I mean, isn't that kind of obvious? And so you look at that, and you look at that with the same as the Lord, uh, with the Lord. The Spirit of God, which is within us, is in us as a motivation to have relationship with Him and to obey Him. But you get to Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, and you see a new motivation. The woman saw the tree was good for food, pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise. In that, all three of those motivations are something internal within man. They are not part of the Spirit of God that was within man. So here's my question. Who was the real enemy? Who was the real enemy? Uh, it's easy to point the tree. Uh, it's easy to point the finger at the serpent, right? Easy. He's such an easy target because he's the one that talked to Eve, and he's the one that said, "Oh, you're surely not going to die," and all that kind of stuff. Um, but he was only putting something out there, right? He was only sweetening the pot, so to speak. But the motivation that caused Eve and Adam, by the way, to go partake of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was within them. Satan didn't force them. Um, Satan didn't, you know, put the proverbial gun to their head, so to speak. Um, Satan just kind of put a spotlight on it. But the driving force for them to go eat from that fruit of that forbidden tree was something that was within them. And so here's the question. So, all right, wait, wait before I get to that question, let me, so let's, let's keep going. Um, and then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God uh, among the trees of the garden. See here, obedience, relationship. Obedience impacts relationship and relationship impact obedience. You can't have one without the other. Again, it's impossible. You can't have one without the other. You cannot have obedience without relationship. You cannot have relationship without obedience. It doesn't work. And so, uh, so they disobeyed. And now all of a sudden, they're hiding from the Lord. Let me show you just another spirit of man here. Then the Lord God said to Adam, um, or called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Here's the question. Why did he hide himself? What was the motivation for hiding himself? Everybody thinks it was because he was naked. Uh, -uh. reread the verse. I was afraid and I hid myself. The naked was just an excuse. He was afraid. That, that was the inner motiv motivation. He was afraid. 
That was the inner motivation that drove him to hide from the Lord. And so there again, the spirit of man driving him to do something that was contrary to the spirit of the Lord. Folks, I'm telling you, if we could get a hold of this, it would revolutionize some people's lives. It would set them free. So many times we want to blame Satan. He's Again, he's the easy target. Yes, he is the enemy of your soul. Yes, he is the enemy outside. The problem is, is that we run the risk of having an enemy within. And that's the thing most Christians don't want to talk about. Because it places responsibility back on us. And it, isn't that so hard? Can I just be honest with you? As I'm sitting here, I've literally got my hands in my face thinking about this. This is the part that's so hard because it puts the responsibility back on us. It puts the responsibility back squarely on our shoulders. See, we've got to understand, uh, the scripture does talk about that Satan deceived Eve. Yes, Satan did deceive Eve, but Eve took that fruit on purpose. See, there's no accidental sin. I don't cheat on my wife by accident. I don't go on a computer and look up pornography by accident. Um, I don't decide to go cheat on my taxes or lie to my kids or cheat somehow on the job. None of that is done by accident. None of it. None of it is done by accident. Yes, accidents happen, but sin doesn't happen by accident. Uh, none of those things are by accident. What happens is we go out there, and yes, we may be deceived, but we partake in the deception by doing the thing that we know is wrong. And we want to blame everybody else. And folks, it doesn't compute. It doesn't work. When Adam was driven to disobey, it impacted the relationship with cause more disobedience. He went from disobeying and partaking of the fruit to where he was hiding from God, and he was hiding from God, which caused more disobedience because he was afraid, and it caused him to hide from the Lord even more. So who was the enemy? That's the question of the evening. Who was the enemy? And I think if mirrors would have been around back then, Adam would have to look in the mirror. And that's what makes it so hard, doesn't it? Because it's not just the world out there. In fact, you can do some Bible study. I'll challenge you on this. Um, when you look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, it says, So the woman saw that the true tree excuse me, was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of the fruit and ate. Uh, there's three descriptions given of the tree. Uh, good for food, pleasant to the eyes, and desirable to make one wise. If you go to 1 John, 1 John, I believe it's chapter 5, uh, John talks about all that is in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Three descriptors of what's in the world. There's three descriptors of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that match what John said is in the world. Lust of the flesh, she said it was good for food. 
uh, lust of the eyes, it says it was pleasant to the eyes. And the pride of life, it says the tree was desirable to make one wise. It matches up. And so, yes, there are things out there in the world. There are things out there in the world to tempt us. There are things out there in the world to um, maybe cause us to take a second look. But here's the thing, um, is that it's got to have something on the inside to match up with. Uh, it's kind of like, um, you know, I don't remember if you uh, uh, you ever played the match game, you know, where you got all the cards and they're all flipped over, um, you know, a deck of cards, they're all flipped over and you pull one up and it's the two of spades. And before you can, before you can discard that card or take it out of the stack, you got to find the other two of spades. So then they're paired up and then they, you know, it comes out or, um, or the, uh, like they do with the toddlers. I remember when my kids were little, they had the little board where it had a square and a triangle and a star shape and a circle. And then they has, had these little blocks that matched up to the shapes of the, of the holes in the board. And they would have to, you know, put the blocks in the holes that fit. And, uh, and so, um, in order to win the game, you had to match up the block with the shape of the hole. Same kind of thing with the world and the, and the flesh, what's within us. And I'm going to show you. It's in James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted. Tempted, that's the spirit of the world. That's the spirit of Satan. That's the spirit of evil. What Again, whatever you want to call it. That's the temptation out there. How are they, tempta how are they tempted? Excuse me. When he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Yes, I'm slowing down and over-pronouncing over and, and pronunciation and all those kind of things uh, because I'm trying to drive home a point. Folks, there are things out there in the world that will never, ever be a temptation to me. Drinking will never be a temptation for me. Um, even back in the day before I, uh, before I got into the ministry and uh, knew the Lord, those kind of things, um, even when I did drink, it, it wasn't a big deal to me. And so drinking is not a temptation. So you know what? Satan and the world doesn't try to entice me with a drink uh, it, because there's nothing there for it to connect to. That square block out there of the alcohol, there's no square block. There's no square hole in me for it to match up with. So I hope that makes sense. Um, however, there are things in me, in my flesh, in the spirit of man that are within me that if the world brings that to me, then it matches up, right? The square block with the square hole, the circle with the circle hole, the triangle block with the triangle hole, uh, it matches up. And in that, then there's, you know, then there's something there. That's the temptation. Um, I reminded Oscar Wilde, the comedian and philosopher said, uh, I can resist anything but temptation. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of truth to that. There's a lot of truth that I can resist anything but temptation. Why is that? Because there's something within me that will, it, that that pushes me or that drives me or becomes the motivator that that takes me toward the things of the world. That's exactly what James is saying. 
Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires. There is something within us, our own desires, that wants to push us in this flesh, that want to motivate us and drive us to things out there in the world. All Satan is doing is trying to lay out all the temptations he can as the old saying goes, fling mud up on the wall and see what sticks. He's trying to throw everything he can at you, hoping something will stick. And so the question is, if he throws something at me that does stick, whose fault is it? Now I'm getting loud like I'm preaching. Sorry. But it's the truth. Whose fault? Oh, it's Satan because he tempted me. Really? According to this, I'm not tempted unless I'm being motivated, driven by the own lust and desires I have within me. So where is the enemy? The enemy is within. And therein lies the rub. Right? Therein lies the rub. How do I deal with an enemy when the enemy is me? See, it's so easy to point a finger at somebody else. It's so easy to point the finger at Satan. It's so easy to point the finger at the world. It's so easy to point the finger at at uh, uh, the things on the computer, the things on the television. Uh, the, it's so easy to point the things that are uh, standing on the, the street corner. Um, it's so easy to, uh, to uh, point the finger at... Um, the the uh, the drugs on the street or the you know uh, it, it again it's so easy to point it, the finger at the coworker who made themselves too readily available for me it's so easy to point it outside but folks the problem the enemy is within and until we come to grips and terms with that realization we will never live a victorious life over sin in the world. I, I hope I'm making my case to you. If you got an issue with what I'm saying, yes, I know we all call, I call Satan the enemy of your soul. And he is, he is the enemy because he's the one that wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy you. But if you don't give him a foothold, he can't. So what do we do? What is the solution? How do we do this? Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus says to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. See, here's the thing. You've got a spirit within you, right? The spirit of man. I hope I've laid down that foundation. The spirit of man is the one that's in the middle You've got the spirit of God on one side, the Holy Spirit. You've got the spirit of Satan, the spirit of the world, the spirit of evil, the spirit of lust, whatever you want to call it. I don't care. On the other side, the spirit of man is in the middle. And it's who the spirit of man decides to align with. It's who your spirit decides to align with that dictates the outcome of your spiritual life. And see, this is an ongoing issue. This is an ongoing problem. This is the exact same problem that 
Paul was describing in Romans chapter 7 when he said, the evil that I don't want to do, I end up doing anyway, and the good I want to do, I don't do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He understood that. He understood that the enemy was within. He understood that there's a good that I want to do, and I'm not doing it, and there's an evil I don't want to do, and yet I'm still doing it. And so he looked at that and said, okay, who's going to deliver me? In fact, he called it death. Who's going to deliver me from the body of this death? Is he talking about the death of sin? Eh, could be. I think he's talking about the death of literally the light that's being ebbed away from him because of the decisions that he's making. See, folks, we got to understand that. Let me go back to the principle. Obedience and, and relationship go hand in hand. And so we've got to look at, we've got to look at, so there, there. Uh, so let me let me try to bring this together because I only got a couple minutes left in this podcast, um, and and I, I think see to me this is beautiful. I get so excited about the word. I know I'm kind of weird, but my church sees it. They know I get wound up about this stuff. Um, there, there, uh, there. So there's three spirits, right? The spirit of man is in the middle. The spirit of God on one side, the spirit of the world, the spirit of Satan, the spirit of evil on the other side. Um, the spirit of man is in the middle. Um, and so it, whichever way the spirit of man goes is what is is the way that that dictates the consequences or the repercussions of your of your um, spiritual life. But two of those three, two of those three reside within you. The spirit of Satan is out there outside in the world, and he's trying to work his way in. He tries to work his way in through your eyes. He tries to work his way in through your mind. He tries to work his way in through his e your ears. Your spirit, the spirit of man, is on the inside. That's the part that's got to die. The other part that's on the inside is the spirit of the Lord. And if you, if you will learn to die to yourself, the Spirit of the Lord will automatically, if you're a child of God, will automatically rise up within you and lead you on the path of obedience and relationship. All you've got to do is die to yourself. And and you and to do that, you got to first be honest. You got the the things that that are uh, does, uh, that are a temptation to you. You got to be honest with yourself and honest with the Lord. This is it. This is what tempts me. This is what bugs me. And I need deliverance. And I need to put that on the cross. And then learn to say no. Stand up and be a man or be a woman and say no. Crucify your flesh. Stand up to what you know is wrong. And as in doing so, the Spirit of God will rise up within you and give you the power and the strength to obey. Oh, I got more, but it'll be next time. Love you.